Welcome everybody. We're just gonna wait another minute or so. You can settle in. Check out this, check out the rectangles. See who's here. <laughs> Okay. An intimate group tonight, Nina. It is. It is. And we may have some more people signing in, but. Okay. I'll let you, I'll let you take care of that. Yeah. yeah. Great. Okay. Welcome, Sangha. Um, welcome to the Sunday evening sit of San Francisco Insight. And um, my name is Nina Gold. I'm one of your board members, and I am delighted. Delighted to introduce our teacher this evening, Frank Ostaseski. He is an old friend of San Francisco Insights and Eugene Cash's, and just a fabulous teacher. I, I got to chat with him for a few minutes uh, before you all join. And he told me to keep my introduction brief, which is hard to do. He's got a long list of incredible things, uh, but... Um, I'm just thrilled to have him here this evening. So Frank, take it thank, away. Thank you, Nina. Thank you for uh, keeping it brief. I like that. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Nice to be with you again. And uh, others will join us along the way, but I'm very happy to have this intimate group of, of old friends with us. You know, usually, um, I think if I remember the um, sort of tradition here is to start with some meditation and then we'll have a little talk and then we'll have a bit of a discussion. So uh, for the meditation, I, I'd like to suggest something if we could. So probably most of you have the capacity to put this on gallery view. So do that. If you can put it on gallery view, put it on gallery view. That's it. Good. Good. I can't put it on gallery. <laughs> if you can't, don't worry about it. It's okay. Um, if you can put it on gallery view and you've successfully done that, and I know there are some, you know, high tech people in the, in the group, then page through, see who's here. Just look at some, you know, see some faces, see some heads, see who's here. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So I'd like to just offer us a, our subject tonight, um, if, I, if I stay with it, uh, is belonging. I, I think we long to belong. And these days, it seems more important than ever. So I thought we'd start with a simple meditation you're probably familiar with. So um, what I'd like you to do is something really simple, if you can do it. And don't get technologically wigged out here. But if you, I want you to pick somebody in the group that you would work with. They won't know you're working with them, and you won't know who's working with you, actually. 
but you pick somebody, you pick a face that you think, huh, that one, oh, oh, Robert, oh, Ernie, oh, Amy, oh, yeah, them, I, I want to be with them. And sort of zero in on them for a minute. And if you like, if it's helpful and it's easy for you to do technically, if you hover over their picture with your cursor, you'll see little three little red, uh, three little dots on the upper right-hand side. And if you, it's kind of a pull-down menu there, and you can pin somebody. You can actually pin them, and then you'll see their, basically just see their face. And that's the nice thing to do if you really want to. But you don't have to. Don't worry about it. Okay? Beautiful. So lots of people in front of us. Maybe you've chosen a single person that you'll work with for this uh, meditation. That's beautiful if you can do it. And um, let's first just settle in to this body and breath, yeah? As best we can. Not trying too hard to meditate. Not fixing, you know, not shape, trying to shape the breath in any particular way. You, know, you were breathing just fine until I encouraged you to include your breath. So don't worry about it. It'll keep breathing. That's it. That's it. If you have your eyes closed, that's fine. Or gently open as you wish. And just see for a moment if you can bring your attention to the experience of hearing. Yeah, just to the sound of my voice, maybe the other sounds in your room where you are, perhaps outside the building where you are. And if you're able to let your attention get a little more subtle, you may also notice the silence that's here in addition to the sounds. And without any struggle at all, you may notice that the sounds come and go, but the silence itself is undisturbed. Sounds arise in the silence and return to the silence. Let's see if you can get a sense of that silence, uh, quality qualities that it might have, or any, or maybe any sense of space that you might associate it with. Is it expansive? Is it small? Is it just in your head, the silence, or does it extend beyond your head? And relax. Relaxation isn't the goal of practice, but Relaxation is mm, supportive of mindfulness. Relaxed body, relaxed heart, and relaxed mind.
And you may notice just as sounds come and go in the silence and the spaciousness of the silence. Well, so do other physical sensations, seeing and smelling and touching and those sensations that seem internal to the body and those that seem on the surface of the body. Big, large, gross sensations like your feet on the floor or your butt in the chair. Maybe the feeling of air on your skin or the fabric of clothing against the fabric of your clothing against your skin. And perhaps there are sensations that seem internal to the body, some tingling or maybe trembling, some activity. Really landing in this body with its activity and its stillness, its composure. It's restlessness. However it is, no part left out. And for many of us, when we have a sense of the body as a kind of container for awareness, for our emotional and mental states, often there's some feeling or sense of safety, safe enough, we could say, to feel the heart, to allow it's ever present without turning away. I mean, there's some difficult emotions. It's fine. I sometimes have a feeling of unworthiness when I sit. Maybe there's some compassion or tenderness. No turning away from any of it. Respecting, respecting how challenging it can be to be human.
Now, if you would, uh, just gently open your eyes and let your gaze fall on the person that you've chosen in front of you. Whoever that is, if you need to page through the screen to find them again, that's okay. And, you know, let that person uh, that you've chosen in front of you, really let your attention rest on them in a kind of soft gaze. Again, they won't know you're working with them and you won't know who's working with you. Let's contemplate a few things together. The obvious, this person has a body, a heart and a mind just like me. And it's likely that this person's experienced some physical or emotional or, or mental suffering just like me. And just because this person is human, at some point they've been sad or disappointed or angry or hurt, just like me. Maybe this person's been confused at times, or helpless, or felt inadequate or unlovable. Just like me. I mean, look at them. Look into their eyes. And this person will die and be separated from all those she or he or they love, just like me. And this person undoubtedly wishes for friendship and understanding, just like me. They want to be safe and healthy and loved and live with ease 
just like me. And they want to be happy, just like me. And, and they may make all kinds of, they may have all kinds of unskillful ways of trying to bring that happiness into their life. But just like me, they want to be happy. And this person, the one you're looking right into their eyes, They long to belong, just like me. This is part of what brings us to Sangha, the longing to belong. Here we are with each other. Longing to belong, just like me. We're never just sitting for ourselves. We're never just grappling with our own minds and bodies and hearts. We're always, always sitting with and for all beings. All beings on this call. All beings in existence. Never just sitting for ourselves. Here we are together. And even if you feel like you don't belong, you belong. So feeling that too, not just the sensations in your own body or 
the thoughts in your mind or feelings in your heart. See if you can feel that belonging. You might feel it through the heart or through the door of wisdom, recognizing that we're never just sitting for ourselves. And see what the effect of that is on you to be able to feel it or perhaps not to be able to feel it. Of course, there's a myriad of differences between us. But when it comes to the, the basic human needs, to belong, to be loved, it's just like me.
Thank you for your practice. Nice to practice together. I always love coming to SFI. Eugene, of course, is an old, very old dear friend. Today's his birthday, you know. Do you know that? Today is his birthday. So he's even an older friend now. Yeah. I want to hold him in my heart and wish him happy, happy day today. So glad he got born. And, uh, and there's so much to celebrate about his good heart. Yeah. So before we uh, begin the uh, next part, uh, I think, Nina, sometimes you have some announcements and things to make, yeah? Yeah, thank you so much, Frank, and happy birthday, Eugene. Yeah. I didn't know it was his birthday. That makes me smile. I'm, <laughs> I'm happy he was born also. Uh -huh. um, and thank you, Frank, for that beautiful sit and really... Um, guiding us into this sense of belonging. And um, I'm gonna talk about Donna, but it was beautiful what you said that we're never just sitting for ourselves. And so just being here and feeling into that is already an expression of generosity of Donna. So this is the moment where I say a few words about Donna and how our Sangha and our teachers are supported through this practice. Um, Donna being the Pali word for generosity and um, really a foundational teaching from the Buddha. As I understand, it was the first, um, the first teachings that he would give to lay people was in um, establishing generosity. And so since the time of the Buddha, these teachings have been supported through this reciprocity of the teachings being offered and then being received and then those receiving, supporting the teachings and so on, like this continuous uh, circle of never just uh, being here for ourselves. So... Um, so in the spirit of Donna and generosity, if you wish to make an offering um, to San Francisco Insight, those funds will go, will make, um, will support Frank for his teaching tonight and support the continued life of San Francisco Insight. So we thank you for your generosity and I will put a link in the chat in just a minute. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Nina. You know, in, uh, uh, in Nepal and Tibet, if you're at a great temple, one of the ways they talk about dana is um, you sweep the temple. That's one of the things you do, you sweep the temple. And if you have a little resources, you put a little gold dust on a Buddha. Yeah, that's, that's dana to the organization, you know. But the greatest dana, the, 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 the highest form of dana is... Um, that you give your teacher is practicing with ardently, practicing with great passion, actually, with your wholehearted commitment. Yeah. So um, that's the dana I would most appreciate, actually. You practicing with your whole heart. Yeah. So I, I said that I wanted to talk about uh, belonging. Yeah. And. Uh, It's a funny one, right? Because 
some places we feel we really we belong oh we belong i'm here this is my place these are my people and other places we feel like we don't belong these are not my people this is not who i want to be with i don't condone these actions or they don't let me in whatever it is you know there's some angst left over from our teenage years maybe i don't know i mean conventionally right we talk about it as having a sense of being recognized a recognized member of a family or a clan or a group or a community maybe sometimes it includes shared values or beliefs or common interests um, abe maslow the great you know psychologist he who created the hierarchy of needs remember that yeah and belonging was uh, one of the major needs that motivates human behavior actually and uh you know that 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 hierarchy of needs was portrayed as a pyramid right with the basic most basic survival needs at the base at the bottom and and the more complex and evolved needs uh, at the top of the pyramid at the peak of the pyramid and uh but right in the middle central to all of this was love and belonging actually and they're they're central elements right to not only just addressing our social needs but to to um, manifesting uh, the fullness of our humanity but i, I don't know i think of belonging as uh, beyond just our psychosocial needs you know you know, and most of us, each of us probably in our hearts at some point or another, maybe tonight, we feel this longing to belong, yeah. I mean, we know, right, when we, when we have this feeling of belonging, or at least it's so for me, um, it, you know, I relax. <laughs> I'm not so stressed out when I feel like I belong. And it, you know, it helps, you know, our, helps us, address behavioral issues and such, you know. And when we're not, when we don't feel alone, we, we're more resilient, actually. And uh, when we feel like we belong, we have, we're able to cope, actually, more effectively with the difficulties of our times. I mean, at its most base level, at the base of that pyramid, it's necessary for survival belonging. Yeah, I mean, without a sense of belonging, we would have perished a long time ago as a species. That's why when sometimes we feel like we're on the margins or we're in some kind of exile, it feels devastating, like we're not going to survive. I was with my... Uh, three grandchildren this week. And um, I was reminded how infants need to belong in order to survive, right? I mean, they can't even lift their heads without help when they're really newborns. And my son, uh, who I love dearly and has a generous heart, he and his wife just recently adopted uh, two new children into their family. And uh, I'm very grateful for him to him for doing that. And, and I met them for the first time this week, yeah. Now I know my granddaughter, Nico, uh, since she was 
you know, he's now six. I've known her since she was born. But I was meeting these kids for the first time. And I was outside in a kind of grassy area, and Nico saw me, and she kept she started yelling, Grandpa, Grandpa, and she came running up to me to give me a big hug, Grandpa, Grandpa. And as soon as the other two, Amelia and Milo, saw her, they started running toward me yelling, Grandpa, Grandpa, Grandpa. And of course, it was lovely for me, but it really helped me to see that children are coded, I would say, with this need to attach to a caregiver. I mean, children who, who, who not have, have not had healthy attachment, excuse me, um, in, their, in their young life, you know, they often later have low self-esteem or a more negative worldview or sometimes they just don't trust. They don't have basic trust. Um, or they have the perception that they're rejected. You know, I had this when I was a young person. I had the feeling that it was a benevolent world, but that I was slightly on the margins. Yeah. So I know the feeling of being exiled. And I think our longing to belong, even our most unskillful attempts at it, you know, like comparison and competition with others, those are unskillful attempts at belonging. They're often attempts to find out or, or to rediscover or to make contact with something that we feel has been lost or maybe that we never got to have. And th this is important, right, for our development. But I think this belonging is not just about togetherness or a way that we get our psychosocial needs met. Those are important, of course, but I think belonging is freedom, actually. And belonging is intrinsic to our most fundamental and essential nature, our true nature, the nature of our nature. The nature of our nature is actually indivisible. You know, it, it, it can't be broken into parts. It can manifest in unlimited qualities and possibilities and potentials, etc. but those facets can't be separate, separated from the whole, you know, no more than waves in the ocean is the famous analogy. Or as my friend uh, Bernie Glassman, a wonderful Zen teacher, used to speak about one body, one body. And he used to give this really beautiful example. He said, you know, if you cut your left hand, your right hand reaches out for it immediately to care for it. Immediately. It doesn't ask, you know, are you Republican or Democrat or, you know, are you for the stimulus package or not? Are you, you know, are you, do you have insurance? <laughs> what, what's your religious conviction? It just cares for it immediately because it understands it's one thing, one body. Belonging is in the nature of our nature. And we could say that all of our experiences, even the one we're having right now, speaking with each other, all our experiences in this life are invitations to this belonging. Yeah, a lot of the time, most of us, many of us at least, we live in the delusion of our separateness. 
And to me, you know, I've worked with dying people for decades now, and I've seen a lot of horrible dying and people being in immense pain and all kinds of difficult situations. But I don't know of a more painful experience than being wedded to the belief that we need to be separate in order to be an individual. I mean, I think this is one of the core wounds of our culture. It leads to isolation and often to domination, you know, in relationships or, or over others or over our planet. And feeding this, this fire of separation, it leads to so much unnecessary suffering. You know that one third of the young people in our country say that they have no trusted adults in their lives. My God, what are we doing to our children? I mean, the world has never been more connected. I mean, look at us, this incredible thing we have, this great tool we have of Zoom. And yet, people are lonelier than ever before. You know, in England, there's a minister of loneliness. Yeah, there's like a cabinet position. Yeah. And they've been trying all kinds of things. You know, if you go to the parks in, in London, you know, there are great, wonderful parks there and benches are much beloved um, experience. Sitting on a bench is a much beloved experience by Londoners. And, and now there are benches that say silent bench, you know, like when we're on retreat, silent table, and then a chatting bench. <laughs> and if you sit down on the chat bench, then you're open to chatting with someone, you know, not about anything necessarily, just you're open to the exchange. Yeah. <sighs> the absence of belonging, I don't know, it's, it's the great silent wound of our times. And this acute sense of separation that we have, you know, it, it amplifies feelings of, of vulnerability and fear and grasping and aversion. Yeah? I mean, we didn't invent these things. And they aren't particular just to our time. I mean, the Buddha talked about them beside the Ganges many thousands of years ago now. It seems sometimes to me that we're really lost in this existential trance, you know, in which we've forgotten the wholeness of our being. We are individual, unique. I mean, look at the screen, look at all the people on this call and how each one is beautiful and unique and remarkable. We're not separate. We're not separate from others, not from our nature, 
not from the essential truth of reality, not from the beauty or horror of humanity. We never were, and we never will be. But at the same time, as I said earlier, I, I want to respect just how difficult it is to be human. And my question around suffering, you know, regardless of what the suttas say, my, my, quest, my question is always about how do we move toward the light of absolute truth and still accept and honor our very human nature? I mean, how do we face the rise of popularism and climate catastrophe and religious divisions and racism and political polarization and, oh my, patriarchy and gender oppression and so much more? I mean, I'm sure for each of us, and it might be different for each of us, there are actors or actions to which we feel we don't want to belong. But we belong even to this, even to them. And to me, that brings with it, not hopelessness, but a responsibility to address the suffering of our world with some wisdom and compassion and integrity and determination. Systems are made up of people and these tendencies live in all people. We're people. You know, years ago, I, I helped to lead a um, retreat on the tracks of Birkenau, uh, Auschwitz-Birkenau, and uh, it was a very strong experience for me. And You know, it, it's... It's like going into the belly of the beast, like the worst human tendencies and sitting with them for whatever it was, 10 days. I remember reading a, um, a kind of uh, interview or article by someone who was talking about the Dalai Lama and he made a visit to Auschwitz and he was so humble. You know, after touring the camp, he didn't say a word. And then, you know, finally he stood there. And of course, people asked him questions. And and uh, he said, oh, I'm so grateful I wasn't the guard in these camps. I don't know what I would have done. And it was a really clear teaching for me about if he had walked this path of one of those guards or one of those SS officers, you know, if he'd had that conditioning, he'd been born into that family, had that kind of conditioning, walked through life as that person had, he would be them. And he would have been subject to doing all kinds of horrible things. And his old friend, uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, you know, there's a wonderful video out now. I go and see it if you can about Tutu and uh, Dalai Lama kind of in conversation together. And 
you know, Archbishop Tutu, he, he introduced most of the world to that term Ubuntu, which is usually translated as we are because we belong. And the belonging he was talking about is not just to other humans, but to all beings, right? And to rocks and plants and the boundless sky and the, and the, the great oceans. And all the misery on this planet. Ubuntu. We belong to it all. And not just, this isn't just an ancient spiritual idea. It's, you know, science validates this. Our modern science validates this, you know. Interconnectedness, right? The dependent origination, the central tenet of, uh, of Buddhist teachings that underlies all Buddhist teachings, interconnection, you know. That every person, place, and thing is entirely independent on other people and things. And, and, and on the conditions needed for existence. Everything, all matter is mutually influencing everything else. Is that just an idea? It's not just a, you know, Dharma talk. It's true, it's not just abstract, you know. An apple seed can't bear fruit. It's got to have the right conditions, right? Suitable climate and adequate sunshine and moisture and nutrients in order to grow into a tree and bear fruit. Nothing can be sustained independently without relying on everything else we belong. Everything depends on everything else. I mean, look at us just sitting here, right? I mean, we're using this incredible technology that somebody else created and manufactured and helps us to function this way. I don't know who they were, but I belong to them. Even to the ones I don't really like so much. <laughs> I mean, we're sustained this way, right? Or we're only able to exist because of others clothes we wear, right? The food we eat, it all comes from someplace else at the result of someone else's efforts. You're alive right now because you enjoy the right conditions for survival, right? Because the sun shines and there's rain, crops can grow and people tend and harvest those crops and bring them to market and maybe someone makes your meal for you. I teach a lot at the Upaya Zen Center with my friend Joan Halifax. And, and one of the things I love there is that before every meal, we chant. And the chant before every meal goes something like, earth, water, fire, and air, fire, air, and space combined to make this food. Numberless beings gave their lives and labors that we may eat. May we be nourished that we may nourish life. A beautiful recognition of this that we make into a vow. So understanding this this belonging, you know, this this universal belonging, you know, which can just seem like a big idea. 
and this everyday belonging. You know, they, we speak about the paradox of two truths, right? Because if they seem paradoxical, you know, and absolute truth says our connection is with everything, that we're not separate. But then relative truth comes into play, right? Each of us come into this world with different conditions and histories and families and they shape our identities. So we're not separate, but we're also not the same. And our freedom really depends on remembering that, I think. Sangha is a way that we we practice that in, in, in our tradition. It's a way we skillfully practice learning how to belong. It's not like we come into it knowing. We, the Sangha teaches it to us. I mean, when the Buddha taught the three treasures, you know, Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, they're all important. And, you know, they're like a three-legged stool, I say. And, and without the third leg, you know, without Sangha, it's a pretty wobbly stool if it's just Buddha and Dharma. I mean, Dharma is the path, right? The, the teachings, the way. Buddha is that capacity in each of us to awaken. Awaken to our most essential nature. And Sangha is, you know, traditionally it was monks and nuns, the community of practitioners of the way. And each day, we take refuge in these three jewels, these three treasures. A friend, uh, Reb Anderson, a Zen teacher, he, he says, uh, I like his way, he says something like, there is a home, there's a way home, and there's a group of people trying to get home. So I think um, taking a refuge it's not a bypass. It's not removing ourselves from life or its troubles. It's not running away from the harsh realities. It's not an escape to some transcendental state. It's actually about bringing things closer to ourself. And that's not easy. That's why Sangha is so hard. I mean, humans always form themselves into groups, right? Families and tribes and cultures and organizations and rotary clubs. <laughs> we belonged in so many different ways. Sangha is also about relationship, but it's different than forming an organization. And it's not about replacing our dysfunctional family with Sangha, right? Or, or trying to create a better version of family. That's not what Sangha is about. I think Sangha is more like a mirror or an alive, growing experience that causes us to constantly see ourselves and each other in fresh ways. Just as we were doing before, you know, you were sitting with somebody else in Sangha, maybe you know them, maybe you don't, and you don't know who was, who was taking you in, you know, including you in their practice. But by doing that, we were recognizing ourselves in each other, in a way. Each person has this, in this Sangha, has a function. Every one of you. 
And the real function is to be completely who you are. No part left out. So I think, uh, when I think of belonging and I think of Sangha, I think Sangha is the way we remember ourselves home. <laughs> we remember ourselves home. And I think that relationship of Sangha, it's less about determination of an experience, like how we should be with each other. And it's more about discovery. In fact, I think Sangha is a, a journey of continuous discovery, requiring courage and, and flexibility and learning to open and take risks and forgive constantly. It's not extra. So it sounds beautiful, but also we need to be realistic about Sangha. My friend Norman Fisher, he says, um, you know, there's a co great coherence to Buddhist teachings. I mean, if you read them, they, they're incredibly logical and they, everything fits together beautifully, like a gorgeous puzzle or painting. But people, on the other hand, they're not so coherent. <laughs> And so when we give ourselves permission to look honestly at our lives, we find a lot of contradictions, actually. I was talking to somebody the other day about my friend and mentor, Brother David Stendlerast, a wonderful Benedictine monk. Some of you know his work. He, he's famous for speaking about gratefulness. And uh, he says something like, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, gratefulness is a feeling of um, a cup that's spilling over, over the brim with all that's been given. And thankfulness, you know, thankfulness is kind of generosity. It's, it results from this gratefulness and gives expression to our mutual sense of belonging in the world. That's what thankfulness does. That's what generosity is. And then he said something I really loved. He said, it reminds me that giving and receiving are one thing, actually. And they share the same gesture, an open-handed gesture. That's a beautiful way, giving and receiving, same thing. They share this open-handed gesture. He said, but when the fingers begin to curl back into grasping to self or to anything else, it's, a way, it's on its way to, to forming a fist. And isn't that the trouble with our world? <laughs> isn't that the cause of so much violence in our world? So one or two other things and I'll stop. But belonging to community requires belonging to ourselves. And this means on one level, of course, just taking care of ourselves, right? Attending to our body, heart, and mind. But to belong to myself is more than that. It's actually a call to action, I think. It's a willingness to, to stand up, to stand on behalf of ourselves, to stand up for our better self, so to speak. And it involves that kind of radical self-acceptance that embraces the fullness of who we are. To, to maybe it helps to ground ourselves in some silence as we did at the beginning. And, stillness, so that we can inquire into who we are and uh, know ourselves and understand 
what we can include. And to me, this can only happen when we really trust our, our wise hearts, our essential hearts to be reliable guides. And our belonging is felt as an inclusiveness, uh, embracing of joy, a feeling of pleasure, of forgiving what seemed unforgivable, and extending kindness uh, and receiving kindness, one gesture. It's a willingness to acknowledge injustice and to face our own shadows and to belong to ourselves. We need to stop and to be still enough so that who we are can unfold and, and reveal itself until there's no part left out. So the return to belonging, to reclaim the connection, to, to act on our own behalf, this indicates some measure of self-love to me. Love of what we actually are, the indivisibility that I spoke of a little while ago. And so because we love it, we want to move toward it. We want to move toward what is essentially true in us, what's real in us. And I think without that, our practice is being done for all the wrong reasons. And when we sit and imagine that our meditation practice is about watching our minds and labeling our thoughts and naming the various emotional states to arise, that is, that is part of the, the methodology, but it's not what the practice is. Yeah. We belong. We can't undo it. <laughs> we just can't. We belong simply because we exist. Even if we're terribly lonely at times, and I certainly am. And all of this seems horribly contradictory which it often does to me, where well, we still belong. We belong even when we feel we don't belong. Yeah. I, I wanna stop talking now and, and, and talk with you. I wanna, I wanna see what's on your hearts and minds, I mean, how did this, my words land in you? Where did they land in you? Did they land in your belly or in your heart or in your head? Or maybe they didn't land at all. Maybe they just flew by. It's okay. But I want to know what's on your hearts and minds and what does this stir in you? You know, that's what I thought we would just explore together. And um, so you know how to do this, right? You know how to digitally raise your hand on whatever device you're on. And, and then Nina will kind of facilitate this. I, I've had some strokes, and so I can't see very well, unfortunately. I, I can't make out everybody in their little squares, and I won't see when you have your hand raised, but Nina will. And, um, and maybe she can, uh, there'll be a brave couple of people who raise their hands digitally or otherwise, or just wave wildly, you know. And uh, I see a brave person. Okay. Um, who is it? It's 
Uh, Nima, am I saying your name right? Great, please unmute. Nima, okay. Nima. Nima. Mm -hmm. um, oh my word, this talk, I don't know if I can make my comment without crying, so okay. I'm going to do my best, okay? Crying, crying's good too. Um, okay, so um, uh, your talk really, um, it strummed my heart because I've had a lot of uh, stuff come up with uh, a poor ch bad childhood, not belonging in my own household with my mother, uh, discrimination because I spoke Spanish in school, getting beat by the teachers for it. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of where there was really no place where I belonged. And, um, or that you felt you belonged. Yeah, that I felt. I'm, I'm getting it. <laughs> um, yeah. About... I think it was just about a week ago, um, I was reading a story, uh, it was an article in the newspaper about um, a bear uh -huh. who had his head caught in a plastic ring, which prevented him from eating. Mm. And um, I felt, I felt his suffering in my heart, like I felt so bad for him for these conditions. And um, right in that moment, um, there was something that like came up for me that this feeling of suffering that I felt with him, um, it gave me the opportunity to feel compassion. Like this part of me, my heart just welled up with compassion for him, mm -hmm. for his experience. And mm -hmm. this was, um, even though it was just last week, um, your talk tonight was important to me because it, it, it's important, the value of it, to be reminded. Yeah that there can be a sense of belonging with another being, even through suffering. Absolutely. And I felt like I belonged to the bear. Mm -hmm. And I, it may sound silly, but it was like <laughs> I could feel the experience and I felt like I belonged to the bear and the bear belonged to me and I was yeah. sharing in his experience. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it sounds silly, but I, I appreciate that in our very logical um, world that we live in, our conventional world, conventional world that we live in, feels like oh you, you're a weirdo you know but welcome to the weirdo <laughs> club you know welcome. i'm right here with you yeah so yeah i mean so you could think of the giving and receiving that mm. david was talking about as that the mm. suffering appears for you and what emerges your compassion and response mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. that's the that's the giving and receiving i mean mm. technically we call it tong lin when we do that practice but that's what's happening Hmm. Suffering's emerging and it gets touched by compassion. Compassion helps to transform that suffering. I mean, I'm convinced, I don't know if it's true, but I'm convinced that there are people sitting in caves in the, in the high Himalayas that are keeping the world from falling off its axis. Hmm. I, I don't know if that's true, but hmm. I, I, I have that sense sometimes. And whether it's just my imagination, it doesn't matter. Hmm. It's a useful imagination. I think the Bodhisattva vow, which is to save all beings, that takes imagination. Mm, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i mean i vow to do that every morning and every day i fail miserably <laughs> but i vow again the next morning yeah yeah so yes there is this feeling of um you know we can have a visceral sense of it there's a challenge to this though nima and, I, and then i want to go on to somebody else mm -hmm. which is that some of what you feel may feel when the bear is empathy mm-hmm and you know, like I feel with, right? And, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and 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 that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful doorway to to compassion. 
Mm. It's a beautiful doorway. It's not the same as compassion, but it's a beautiful doorway. It can open our hearts to, to the deep wish to relieve suffering. Empathy just means I feel with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't necessarily do anything about it. I just feel with you. I feel miserable, just like you do. Yeah. But compassion is the action. The action to relieve the suffering. Right? Oh, the action. Okay. Yeah, it's the action. And, okay. and the action can be a prayer, although the Dalai Lama says if prayers were enough to relieve the suffering of the world, we would have done it by now. So mm. he says we have to do more than just pray. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, so there's action behind compassion. There is action behind compassion. That's okay. right. Okay. It needs to be expressed in the world. And, you know, again, we can have universal compassion, that endless, boundless compassion, mm -hmm. and then there's everyday compassion. It's like everyday compassion is you feed somebody, or in the hospice you change a diaper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and, and mm -hmm. in order to do that, you need that boundless compassion. Mm-hmm. But that boundless compassion is just a big idea if it doesn't take expression mm. through you. That's why we're here. So it can act through your eyes and ears, through your tongues and, and, wow. and, and arms. Yeah. Okay. This is how that compassion gets into the world. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That was You're a right. nice gift. Thank Good. you. Good. Good. Okay. Nina, who, who else is... Up. Thank you so much, Anima. And so I'm, I'm, I have a cue here, but um, so I'm going to call on Happy in just a minute and then Amy, but I want to put a plug out for those who are shy, who maybe want to speak to really in support of you belong here, your voice matters. I want yeah. to invite you, even if you feel scared, I'm very scared about public speaking, actually, <laughs> to to uh, raise your hand and I'll, I'll call on you after Amy. Yeah, and, and I'll just add to that. Um, you don't have to have a question. You don't have to have a problem. You might just want to talk, visit. That's perfectly okay. I don't, I don't need you to have, I, I don't know how to fix your problems anyway, but um, let's just be together, okay? So if you have something you want to share or you just want to say, I want to bring my voice into the room, go for it. Okay, who was next? Happy, happy was next. Okay, hi, happy. Unmute. There you go. Hi, Frank. Thank you so much for the talk. I feel like it was very powerful because I started to realize that a lot of the things I do is. Oh, I lost you there, happy. Lost your. You got muted again. There you go. Oh, you hear me? Oh, you said okay, some of the things you do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I realized through the talk that a lot of things I do, like mm -hmm. my job, the communities I'm part of, it's really like because I want a sense of belonging. Like it's a, such a big factor of like what a lot of things I do. And I didn't realize that's what I was really going for. Yeah. Uh, and I guess like I do notice that a lot of times I do not feel a lot of sense of belonging. I mean, I try. I think some places, some groups I feel more like this song guy, then I feel more belonging. But I think, like, at work, I feel a little bit less. Like, but I guess, like, I think maybe I'm not, I'm still trying to figure out, like, a, how does, how can we feel belonging more? I mean, I know it seems like based on what you share. Yeah, okay. So, so let me, let me pause for a second there, Happy, because I, oh. I think I know what you're getting at. So maybe in this Sangha, you feel a lot of belonging. And then maybe there's a group of people you work with that you don't feel so much belonging, right? Mm -hmm. 
Do you feel no belonging at all with them? No, Any? it's not no. It's like oh, okay, good. Like yeah. All right, all right. So, so I wanted to say right now. I mean, I mentioned this in the talk that even our efforts to compare, like that's what you do, right? You're comparing sangha with your people at work. Even that's the effort to want to belong. Yeah. So, it doesn't have to be the same. You know, it doesn't have to be equal across the board. I mean, maybe that's what we cultivate through metta, but we start out just well, a little bit. Okay, I, I get you. I see you. I see you there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I got it. Oh, you like chocolate too? Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, and that's enough, actually, right there. That's a good place to start. In other words, we just feel some, we just feel the threads of connection between us. And the more we recognize them, the more, well, the more threads we recognize. <laughs> and the stronger sometimes those threads can be. So you know how it feels to belong. I think you know. It doesn't mean it always has to feel like that, though. Okay. All right? It doesn't have to be same, same. Okay. It can just be, ah, there's a, oh, there's a thread here. Oh, this is another way belonging shows up. Oh, look at that. I mean, today, there was this, I was at a coffee shop, and the, the woman who had a dog, a golden retriever, who I, I'm madly in love with, the golden retrievers, she went off and went inside, and the poor dog was heartbroken. Where are you? Where'd you go? He was barking and yelling and barking and yelling. And I just went over and I just sat down on the ground next to this golden, you know. Maybe like what uh, Mima was saying, you know. And I just, you know, I just snuggled her up and I said, okay, she's coming back. She will always come back, you know. And the uh, dog calmed down a little bit and the owner came out with her coffee and I think she first thought, am I taking her dog? Maybe she didn't feel like I belonged, you know, maybe she was suspicious of me, but then she saw, and there was just this little connection. I'll never, maybe never see her again, or the dog, but it was, it was there. It was this gesture, ah, giving and receiving, one thing. So it doesn't have to be equal, just feel the threads, okay? I guess I, for your part, your part about like, feeling belonging with ourselves yeah. um, how how is it just like recognizing like we whatever we are is okay is that what is it? i mean no. i guess i didn't really get what belonging with ourselves really means okay so i'm gonna um say something briefly and i'm gonna go on to others um yeah. so belonging first of all is i mean take this expression okay no part left out happy no okay. part left out Okay, like I, I, I raised um, two twin boys and they were identical twins. And when they were young, we took photographs of them and we printed them on cardboard and then we put a puzzle cutter over their pictures. So that they, it was a die cutter, right? And then we, they were now, their faces were now a puzzle. And then we put, spread them out on the floor and we mixed them all up together to see if they could put their faces back together. We were maybe sadistic, I don't know. But they did. They, they put them together. And I like to imagine, suppose we had a photograph of ourselves, not just of our faces or our bodies, but of our whole beings, our inner life, all of it. And then, you know, we made, made it into a puzzle and we spread it out on the floor or on a table. And then, you know, we'd start to pick out pieces. Oh, my lust, my spiritual teacher said, that's not a good thing. I put that aside. Oh, my grief. I'm so tired of my grief. Oh, my anger. No, it's not skillful, my anger. I should get rid of that anger. And we put those part, those pieces aside and we couldn't recognize who we are because we were so busy taking bits and pieces of ourselves and splitting them off. 
So to belong to myself is to welcome it all in. Doesn't mean we have to like it or we want to promote every aspect of it, but it means we include it. And that's the first, that's the place to begin with belonging to ourself. Okay? Okay, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Okay, uh, Nina. Great, Nina. Uh, beautiful. I love the puzzle image, no part <laughs> left out. Yeah. Uh, okay, Amy, you're next. Amy. Hi, Frank. Hi, Amy. Your talk tonight is giving me words to an experience that is still very um, wordless for me. Uh You just said no part left out. And especially during the pandemic, when we were all so isolated, I questioned why my feeling was not touched deeply by my practice. Your um, feeling wasn't touched deeply, did you say? Yeah, my feeling was not touched deeply. What what, what feeling do you mean? Your, your, the quality of feeling, you mean? The ability to feel? Yeah. I see, yeah. okay. Whether I had any feeling. And the part that I leave out is my body. Uh-huh. I, it was mysterious to me why, you know, I have such a, a, a forceful attitude towards my body. It's not, you know, I've been given advice to, you know, have a, a gentle curiosity mm. and there's such a hindrance there for me. And okay. um, so you know that about yourself. Okay. Yeah. Where um, I, I just needed <laughs> I needed to get me the, to the monastery. Uh-huh, so maybe. I went to the um, San Francisco Zen Center to the city center this winter. Mm-hmm. And the work practice happened to have been on refuge, which I didn't know I was looking for, but I was. And in that safe environment, because of Sangha mm-hmm. and because of the formal practice. Right. It really gave me a, a safe um, container. But yeah. I, I'm just beginning to see that I feel betrayed by my body. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I'm older, I'm crumbling, my bo- my bones are breaking, I have osteoporosis. Yeah. Um, okay. Even more, my body is... Uh, Pretty feels pretty betrayed by me. Yeah, As I was going to say. I thought was not relevant. Mm-hmm. I'm a um, 70 year old grandma, and I have always male identified. Uh-huh. I was always in a boy's body. Uh-huh. I was always a male. It, there was, you know, but in the 50s, you didn't. You yeah. were, I got sent to a psychiatrist who, you know, convinced me not to mention it. And now was, I'm going to I'm going to ask you to yeah. go to the essence now because there's other people we want to include. Okay. okay, so in the safety of the sangha, um, you know these things are coming up specifically uh-huh. with not belonging to my body uh-huh. and my body not belonging to the rest of me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Stop. 
No, thank you for that. And thank you for your vulnerability and being willing to say that, you know. I mean, sometimes it's just, you know, you know all those old, Zen, you know, all those meditation teacher stories about living a short distance from our body, all that stuff. So that's sometimes it's just that, you know, that we haven't inhabited our body yet. And sometimes it feels like I'm in the wrong one, you know, or the way in which I identify with it doesn't feel correct to me. It doesn't feel suitable to me. Yeah. And, and that's a worthwhile inquiry, Amy. That's a very worthwhile inquiry. Sounds like you've been doing it for some period of time, and maybe you just had a deeper dive into it. Yeah. For some of us, I mean, sometimes we say that, and I said it even in this talk, that sometimes sensing into the body can give us a, a feeling of being safe enough, you know, safe enough to risk, safe enough to try safe enough to include an emotional state or a state of mind that we might find uh, difficult to include. <laughs> um, but, you know, a lot of us came into bodies that didn't feel right or the way other people treated our bodies didn't feel right. And we didn't, you know, we want to stay as long, as far away from the bodies as we possibly could. So I don't know if our bodies abandon us, but sometimes our relationship to our bodies are very skewed by many things, our own thoughts and many conditions, etc. And that is something we have to work with. That's that's your that's your stuff now, right? How do I how do I find my way into a relationship with this body? How do I do that? I don't have the answer for you. You have to do that. But um I want to add one more thing about getting old, because regardless of whether you male identified or female identified or anything, any of the other possibilities, um, I was with my friend Norman Fisher long uh, a while back, and he said, "I think getting old is perfect." This was in a session, and and everybody who was older in the group all moaned, you know. Well, my osteoporosis, my stuff, my, you know, you don't know about my bladder. And, um, and Norman said, no, it's perfect. Unless you think that life is about productivity and looking attractive. He said that probably peaked at age 35, you know. Yeah. But if you think that getting old is about growing in wisdom and sensitivity and tenderness and vulnerability, well, then it's perfectly designed, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's perfectly designed. Yeah, just like dying is perfectly designed to help us wake up. Yeah, there are conditions in the dying process that are conducive to that. We don't usually notice them, and we don't point them out to people. I did, but um, it's well designed. So, you know. Don't take it for granted, or don't take my word for this, but keep looking and seeing, okay, well, what's in this design of this life of mine that's actually helpful? It's conducive, supportive of me being fully who I am, fully who I am. Yeah. 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 Indivisible. I don't want to die without knowing that. Well, I don't know if you will or not. Maybe that's why we get, that's, maybe that's the reason for rebirths, if there is such a thing. I don't know. But it's a really good intention to set for yourself that I want to know who I am, who I really am, before I die. 
I just went through a Zen ceremony, teacher thing, it doesn't matter, but um, in it you make vows. And the teacher says, do you vow to do this? And you, your job is to say, I will. And then the teacher in my case said, do you really vow? <laughs> and I said, yes, I will. And then she said, do you really, really vow? <laughs> and I said, yes, I will, I will. And it, it, it was really good actually that, that I was asked this several times because it made me see how important it was for me. Yeah. How important it was for me to live by vow. So may that be so for you. That's exactly what's coming up. And I, I just, I need the support. You know, I have yeah. to admit that I need the connection and to belong. And I need to go back to the monastery for a while. No, yeah, that may be a skillful thing to do. I mean, you know, once we are separate, once we have, and I'm sorry if I'm going on here, once we fall into this dream of separation, we feel isolation often, right? And the isolation further engenders a sense of shame and being exiled. Mm -hmm. And so then we have to make some concrete effort to help to do whatever we need to do to remember what's true. And if going to the monastery is part of it, but if it's, it might also be going to the movies, I don't know. No, for me now. Okay, good. So recognizing, remembering what is true. And that's an act of self-love, Amy. Mm -hmm. That can't be done as an act of will. That's an act of self-love. Yeah. Okay, thank, thank you. you so much. You're very welcome. Nice to be with you. Okay, Nina, we have maybe time for one more, huh? Yeah, sure. Okay. Hi, David. Thank you. For Hi. Um, could you maybe say a bit about the negative aspect of belonging, whether real or imagined? Because yeah. it all of a sudden occurred to me, well, yeah, I, I often feel I don't belong and I wish I did. And then I thought, hmm, and it's a question I'm asking myself, am I afraid to belong? Because I might, I don't know, you know, be submerged in the group or lose some of my freedom yeah. or forget who I am on so on. So you get what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. And, and, you know, um, and that's a worth worthwhile inquiry, of course. Um, yeah, I didn't mention this and thank you for bringing it forward, David, that it's really good to see what do we give up to belong sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, like what do we sacrifice? What belief, for example, might we sacrifice about, what's really in our hearts that we might give up in order just to belong, you know? I mean, the, the notion of accommodation, right? It sounds good, right? We all talk about, oh, well, he's such an accommodating person. Isn't he a good guy? Well, accommodating is really an act of giving up a piece of our soul to get something we think we need from somebody else. Yeah. And so we accommodate. Okay, I'll do that. I'll, I'll repress this. I'll push that away. I'll, I'll pretend this isn't important to me, whatever it is. So it's really important that we look and see, and thank you for reminding us of this. What do we do sometimes to belong? How do we exile ourselves from our own hearts in order to belong sometimes? And that's really important. I mean, I, you know, I grew up in a very crazy family. It was nuts. You know, they were alcoholic and violent and all this stuff. And, and I felt if I was going to be with them, I had to exile myself from the rest of the world. I had to keep the secrets of the family. Mm. And so I had to, I had to give up a certain kind of honesty in order to stay with them. 
Yeah. So it's a really good question. What do we, what, and, and it's not just my personality doesn't like this. That's one level, of course, but sometimes it's what part of my soul am I giving up in order to belong? Hmm. And that's a worthwhile investigation. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that. That's a really good, that was a really good um, point to include. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Nina, thank you very much for, for managing this and helping with our discussion. Um, I think our time is up. Yes. So um, I, I just want to add again, my thank you to you. And, and I really felt it as this, you know, this, this giving and receiving one thing. And uh, I'm glad our hands didn't curl back into this separateness. So, you know, when I first learned to meditate, you, know, you used to do that. You used to sit with your hands open on your knees. It was very, you know, now it's kind of new agey, but then it was like a gesture of like, oh, receiving and giving everything all the time. When you say, we're never just sitting for ourselves. If you forget everything else that we've talked about tonight, remember that. We're never just sitting for ourselves. And that this act of belonging is an, is a, has a measure of self-love in it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glad to be with you. And uh, hope to see you again soon. And happy birthday, Eugene. Happy, happy birthday. Thank you for getting born and, and gifting us with this remarkable life that you have given us and all the many gifts you give us as, as friends and Sangha. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Thank, Thank you, you everyone. Good to be with Thank you. you. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much, beautiful. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.